Hi there. Uh, my name is Anil Varach, uh, Executive Vice President and on the board of Step Gold Limited. Uh, Step Gold is listed on the main board of the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker STGO. We are a gold and silver producer out of Mongolia, currently expanding into our phase two operation while continue, continuing to explore. So what we offer obviously is production, cash flow, expansion, and almost doubling of that production over the next two years while continuing to self-fund our exploration on two of our properties. Anil, good to see you. Haven't seen you since April. Uh, you've been up to a lot, doing a lot, but let's start with the kind of Q3 number update, and then I'll uh, talk about some of the things that uh, are interesting your investors at the moment. Yeah, sure. So obviously, uh, Q3, uh, <clears throat> we released the, the headline numbers. Uh, obviously, the, the costs and all that aren't in there as yet, but they'll come out in our financials uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. But uh, a, a big quarter for us uh, in Q3, our production was about 28%, probably more than 30% higher than our Q2. Uh, so we produced just over 10,000 ounces in Q2, well over 13,000, probably over 13,500 ounces in Q3. So a great win to show the market that we've continued to increase production. Production has been stable or better for well over the last six months while continuing to optimize our phase two expansion. So we also put out a press release in Q3 uh, about some optimization work uh, for our phase two expansion. So late last year, we put out a feasibility study uh, and we've actually improved on the numbers there. It came in at about $850 all in cost, but what it didn't include is the connectivity to the grid, which now we have uh, an agreement with the government. And uh, by connecting to the grid, uh, we'll save over 10 million US in OPEX, in phase two or over a hundred dollars uh, an ounce. So a significant material event uh, that continues to make uh, our phase two expansion more robust. Fantastic. Look, um, so well done on that, but you've got downward pressure with gold price. You've got upward pressure from inflationary costs. It seems like you need to run hard to stand still. So when we see these new numbers coming out, are we going to see a net gain, a, you know, stationary position in effect or will there be a kind of loss? Yeah, no, we're certainly actually making money. Uh, even last quarter in Q2, uh, we produced that site at about $850 and, and all in uh, with all GNA costs, a thousand. Uh, so yes, that was higher than our, I guess our run rate numbers. And that's also because our volume, you know, it was only about 10,000 ounces that quarter. On a 15,000 ounces, you'll see that cost come down. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're at 13, in change uh, for Q3. So we expect you can see a similar number until it normalizes over the next 12 months. So our 12 month forecast on about 45 to 50,000 ounces all in, including GNA is $850 an ounce. So it's a bit higher, including the, you know, the higher diesel cost and reagent cost, uh, but certainly um, uh, robust and in a, in a quite a quite a big margin. So Q3 will be profitable again. Uh, we're, we're building up our, our cash flow, our, our, our cash, on our balance sheet and continue to strengthen that going through the winter where you'll see some seasonality in, in production. Right. So making money, that's good. Um, phase one, you're aiming for 50,000. I think this last quarter would suggest you, you're going to do that. Um, phase two, what's what's the work that's actually happening at the moment? Because you're aiming for 100,000 ounces there, aren't you? That's correct. Yeah. So that's a, a 10 and a half year mine life at approximately 100,000 ounces per annum, which again, while we're constructing phase two over the next two years, will become bigger and better. And, you know, again, won't require additional CapEx to, to do so. So we'll be adding more ounces to the mine plan. We'll continue to optimize as we have already on the power. Uh, so you're going to see phase two look a, a lot better by the time it comes online. In terms of construction, we've actually already started construction in phase two. So over the last year, uh, we were able to procure our 1,000 ton per hour fixed crushing circuit. 
install it, and it'll be fully installed by the end of this month. So that's that's a that's a big item for phase two. It's a you know approximately five million uh, U.S. Uh, of equipment cost and, and another three to four million of installation. It's a thousand ton per hour, four times our current crushing capacity, and allow us to actually crush not only some more oxidized material over the next two years uh, that we can generate more cash flow while constructing, but it will also give us a head start on building an inventory on the sulfides or the fresh ore below uh, while constructing. We can build up that stockpile uh, so we can hit the ground running when we do commission uh, our phase two plant. Okay, so you've not raised money for two years, which is great. Uh, so it's anti-dilutory, but you are plowing a lot of money back into the ground. You're plowing a lot of your, your revenue, if not all of your revenue, back in the ground in terms of building out for the space to development. So when does the company actually start making money? Yeah, no, absolutely. So really, the company will, will really make money in about two years' time when phase two comes online. So phase one will still be up and running at that time. Uh, phase two, all the CapEx would have been spent and we'll have hopefully a bumper year that year or, or that four, you know, 12 months uh, from, you know, from two years from now where you have still some ox oxidized material being run through the leach pad and you have phase two online. So hopefully you have that double, uh, you know, a little bit of residual from phase one plus the phase two. At that point, you're only spending on sustaining CapEx and obviously expiration. So uh, rough math on 100,000 ounces at $1,600 gold, you're going to make about $750. So, you know, that's uh, about 75 million U.S. in EBITDA, which is about one and a half times our current market cap. Okay. So let's talk about money, um, if you don't mind. Um, you, has, sorry, has the Mongolian government been buying gold off of you, I read somewhere? Yes, actually. At a premium as well. At Why? A, at a premium, exactly. So previous to May of this year, all of our gold sales have been sold within the country uh, to the central bank or the approved uh, uh, commercial banks on their behalf at spot pricing. So no discount anyways. Since May, they've actually been paying a 5% premium to spot pricing for every gold sale. So we do two gold sales per month, two gold pairs per month, producing you know roughly 4,000 ounces per month over the last six months. And they're paying a 5% premium, something that we didn't ask for, um, didn't model, uh, we'll take it. And it has to do, obviously, a lot with what's going on in the region uh, geopolitically. Um, so there's a shortage of, of USD. And where, where can you get access to USD is obviously through precious metals. And, and so that's what we, we help the government um, uh, increase gold reserves and help them monetize as they, as they need to. Uh, to build up their FX reserves as well. Interesting. Okay, so you're solving a problem for them with uh, USD. Okay, look, okay, that's interesting. Um, what else are they doing for you in terms of like helping you in country? Because again, we've talked in the past about you know people's perception of doing being able to do business in Mongolia. I think the Oyotulgai project probably scarred people a little bit or skew, skewed the thinking. So what's happening in country? Well, yeah. So importantly, I think two weeks after um, we released our feasibility study uh, just about a year ago, uh, the government provided a 60 million US debt package for that expansion. So on 130 million capex, almost half the capital was lined up from within the country sponsored by the Bank of Mongolia. Huge win. Um, it shows you that they're supportive. They want to grow production uh, from precious metals in country. Uh, they're not asking for more. In fact, they're giving us capital to grow. Uh, we've shown since 2016 that we've been working w very well with the government, with the people. Uh, we've obviously created 300 jobs today uh, in country, Mongolian jobs, and we're, we're seeing the benefit of that. So that capital allowed us to uh, continue to move phase two forward when phase one was offline last year because of those uh, supply chain issues. So very supportive government. 
I think this year you've seen some some headline um, transactions with Oye Togoy now being resolved. Rio Tinto forgiving the bank among uh, the, the government's debt uh, on the asset, uh, consolidating with Turquoise. Finally, that's been approved as of just a few weeks ago. So that noise that we've dealt with over the last decade is finally going to be gone. And it's showing you Rio Tinto is committed to the country and making a, a lot, you know, providing a lot more capital uh, commitment in the country. So a big win. And then just a few weeks later, Xi Jin, one of the major miners in China, publicly made an investment in, in uh, Mongolia. So I think you'll see more of more of this from, from majors around the world. They're more getting more comfortable with, you know, this final, I would say the final frontier here where it's is relatively underexplored and a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, just sorry, just going back quickly to the uh, Mongol Bank five um, percent premium. There, are they? They're they're paying you in local currency. So there's a question sent in by DJS. Uh, big shout out. There you go. Um, they're paying you in local currency. Um, right. Okay. So that 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 works for you on, on a couple of levels, I, I guess, as well. Yeah. So getting paid for gold sales, local currency. Uh, 60 to 70 percent of our current costs are in local currency, right? We're operating as a local company. We have local contractors, uh, full-time employees, all local. Uh, so many, many things can be done locally. It really our, our, our need for, for FX ourselves, just like the government, are to procure reagents for the current operation and some of the major equipment items in phase two. Right. Okay. And so you just, just in terms of your, uh, you, you know, we, every time we talk to you, remind me, you haven't, you haven't raised money for the last two years. Are you producing enough cash now to kind of get you through to the complete build-out of phase two and, and into production and through ramp-up of phase two? Yeah, so we actually, when we, when we had downtime last year, we continued to mine, crush, and stockpile unprocessed ore. So when we started this year, we had about 85,000 ounces on a recovered basis. So net to step, that's over 65 million US of net cash that we have to convert over time. This year, we've already produced over 25,000 ounces. And today we're at still about 71,000 ounces ahead of us. So on the inventory side, we have about 18 months comfortably of inventory to process, which we've had no issues to process, recover, uh, no operational issues when in production. So if you uh, convert that 71,000 ounces on a rough basis today, at today's gold price, uh, you're still looking at about 50 to 55 million US of net cash to step gold. So on a on 130 million, let's just call it 150 million with the power upgrade and inflation and time uh, uh, build, 70% of that or so will be funded by debt. The 30% plug is our cash flow that's sitting in our inventory, sitting there, right there ahead of us. And we'll continue to convert it and contribute that. Um, and that's, that's, our, that's our goal here is to use uh, our cash flow and that inventory as our equity contribution for phase two alongside debt. We've, we're very mindful of dilution. And we have been, as, as you mentioned, we haven't raised any equity for over two years, even during the, the hardest time last year when production was offline. You know, we are owners of the company, board of management owned close to 20%. Our last equity raise was done at more than double our current share price uh, with one individual, Eric Sprott, obviously. And we're very mindful of dilution of our investors, our supporters, our partners and ourselves. So um, we will minimize any equity dilution going forward as well for that phase two expansion. Okay. And what are, what are the tools you have in your um, toolbox? Because um, you obviously did, you did that deal with um, Triple Flag, um, you know, for uh, less than five million bucks, I think, from memory. Um Will you be doing more of these kind of prepaid type structures? I mean, I mean, and just in that context, I mean, Mongol Bank or Mongolia government, and more broadly, you know, what what percentage of your production are they are they buying? 
I'm trying to work out the sort of the, the, the sort of the different tools you've got available to yeah, you to kind of get, get through this. So 100% of our production is, is sold uh, within country to the Mongol Bank. So we do so have what's the triple flag deal then? Triple flag. We have a streaming arrangement. This is from from 2017 when we started the company. They help uh, acquire the asset and build it with us alongside obviously equity. So they get 25% of our production today uh, at about 17% of spot. So let's just call it 20% of our current production. Just over 20% of our current production goes to triple flag. The way it's done is we actually sell 100% of production in country. And then we'll buy the associated credits for gold and silver to, to offset uh, triple flags uh, streaming agreement here offshore. Uh, so call it 80% of our production uh, stays uh, in country. Uh, 20% will bring offline. That doesn't last forever. Uh, when we deliver uh, about 46,000 46, ounces of gold uh, to triple flag, that drops to a tail. So it won't be 25% of our future production. It'll be probably between, we think, 3 to 5% of our production in the, in the phase two. Because the, the tail uh, really starts in phase two. Triple flag should get paid back throughout the next couple of years of oxide production. Got it. Okay. Okay. Understood. And then, um, so just on the, the obviously, Okay, when we first talked way back when, you know, you talk about this, um, this all sitting at surface ready for a moment like this. I'm not sure the market understood or thought that was a smart use of money. It obviously looks smart now. Um, and you can, you obviously are in production. Great. You're going to need to kind of grow this thing beyond kind of phase two in terms of, you know, whether it be life of mine or increased, increased production. So what's the ambition and what's the opportunity ahead of you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, phase two at least becomes more material in terms of investors where we have more than 10 years of mine life at that circa 100,000 ounces. So we're kind of getting interesting now. We're getting that scale where, where investors obviously pay attention. We believe that this is more of a 15 to 20 year mine life. So we've had drilling um, late last year that has confirmed that all deposits continue to grow at depth. We've only dr drilled these deposits down to 400 meters maximum from the surface. So this is quite open still. Uh, you will go underground at some point. We've had massive zinc and lead hits that are 10 to 20 times higher than modeled in our feasibility study at, you know, you know, intercepts of 10 and a half meters, 22 meters, 55 meters, again, at 5, 10 and 20 times higher grade. That that alone shows you a path to mine life extension. The the second thing is we have a deposit sitting there uh, called Mung, uh, right next to ATO4 uh, within a few hundred meters. It's about 440,000 ounces. 400,000 ounces of that, it's all gold and silver, down to about 400 meters today, is not in the mine plan for phase two. So we roll that in. So this is without any additional exploration drilling or extensional or new discovery drilling uh, at depth. You can convert that 400,000 ounces as well into the mine plan. That's going to either increase our production profile from the 100,000 that we've, 105,000 we've stated for the first five years to hopefully 125 plus, um, or on the back end, Keep extending that mine life. So our goal is this will be a 15 to 20 year mine life. We think by the time we bring it online in about two years, with what I've what just talked about, we'll continue to drill on the property. We're, we've only drilled about we're only on about 10 percent of the the mining license today. So there's opportunities for new discoveries, satellite discoveries that can roll into phase one or two, whether it oxidizes oxides or sulfides, while continuing to grow all four deposits, which are there and are growing. So we do see some me meaningful extension here. With I guess without a lot of risk, per se. Okay. And, and just on the just on the, um, the heat bleach uh, itself, you, you took about average grade of just just under two, well, 1.96, I think. Um, what's, what you, what's the recoverable and what's the payables look like for you? On, on the heat bleach? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, right now we're modeling 70% on the gold for recoveries and 40 on the silver. Okay. Uh, we're comfortably within that range easily. Like obviously the ultimate recovery, you actually don't find out for a few more years as you continue. Get about 50% recovery sometimes in the first year, sometimes quicker, which we're finding. Um, we are finding obviously that we have this positive grade reconciliation, which means it's added more mine life to the oxide mine. Um, and uh, of course, uh, uh, it's 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 doesn't cost a lot to extract uh, the, uh, the you know the oxides and process them. So you know, or a million dollars in, you get ten million of revenue essentially. Um, it's 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 a fantastic little starter operation that helps grow the company. Uh, we don't know today if we have beyond two more years of of oxide mine life. That's what we have today. But of course, as we continue to drill out this property, you may encounter more oxides. You can keep feeding it into the the system. Um, and without, you know, any additional capex, that's the beauty here, um, you know, of having that infrastructure in place. Right. And, and with regards to construction, obviously, you're, you know, it's meaningfully advanced um, in, in terms of, you know, um, the, the crusher and chemical storage, uh, etc. And, and I guess you're building a camp there, too. Um, are you experiencing any issues at the border with China in terms of getting getting materials in in and out? Has that relaxed any, or have you made alternative arrangements? So when it came to reagents last year, uh, that was the biggest issue. Obviously, that that kept production offline because we were we were procuring from the land border between Mongolia and China for hazardous materials that has yet to still open. So that has not opened up as yet. Um, we're hearing by the end of the year, so that would be great because it will. Uh, lower our costs again in terms of the reagents procurement, which is great, increases our margin again. Um, but what we did last year is, is obviously open up alternative logistical channels. So any anything we need from China, reagents included, we've been shipping to South Korea and we actually shipped it to, to Russia, Vladivostok, uh, last year before things obviously hit the fan. And um, so we've, we've made alternative arrangements for procurement in supply channels that now we have the export approvals, import approvals, uh, uh, um, you know, the rail and, and whatnot approval. So it allows us, if there's any delays at the border for material equipment uh, for phase two, we can we could take uh, make alternative arrangements. However, saying that, last fall, we got that 1,000 ton per hour crusher over the border. The same border that's been closed for hazardous materials, we've, we've been able to get spare parts and a major equipment already. So we don't think it'll be a big issue going to phase two. Uh, the really the major item will be the flotation plant, flotation circuit. That's it. We're building a tailings facility. Uh, nice Peace Holds is doing that. Camp expansion is already underway. Um, so we're not relying on a lot of other major equipment, I guess, outside the flotation plant from China. So we don't actually see any issues. So we don't need it right now. So the, the goal is by late Q1 in the new year, we'll start procuring these larger items. And in the meantime, we get to work on our our, our, our debt package to expand it uh, to what we need for the, the full build-out. Right, and well, that's, 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 that's the kind of important um, leg of this, um, I, th I think, because you, you used the word earlier at the beginning of the, the conversation, which was the, the geopolitics um, of the region. How is Mongolia positioning itself? Because obviously it's, it's kind of had a, a history with, with, with China, and obviously it's a big trade route as well. Um, and we've seen you know, companies you know, based in that kind of, sort of pan-Asia region broadly um, when they're at the point where they're looking for project finance, um, some of the Western um, banks and finance groups are um, not encouraging companies to trade with or sell to uh, the Ch Chinese to put pressure on them. Um, how is it? How, how is one Mongolia dealing with that kind of sensitive geopolitical 
uh, narrative? And two, you know, how do you play that in Mongolia as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, in fact, actually, this year, uh, the government of Mongolia has been working on strengthening that relationship publicly with China. Uh, bottom line is they rely on, on them. Uh, all the exports, um, whether it's coal, copper, or copper concentrate from Waitogoi with, with, the, with the precious metals, uh, iron ore, they go to China. So they rely on them. It's the biggest trading partner. In fact, and obviously they procure a lot in terms of consumables and everything else, given that they're a landlocked country that doesn't produce much of anything, uh, rely on China. So they have publicly, the president's gone to China. Uh, they've met multiple times this year, publicly made announcements that they're out, they're looking to strengthen uh, their relationship and, and, and they do rely on each other to provide a reason. So for us, uh, it's somewhere where we will continue to, to grow that relationship. Uh, it's meaningful because uh, for us going to phase two, we'll be producing concentrates as well. They will be going to China. Uh, and obviously we're procuring uh, a lot of our, our equipment like we did in phase one and is also in phase two. We have the... Um, you know, the low cost logistical advantage of being next to China where you can get, you know, these off the shelf plants and whatnot. So you're going to see continued partnership growth with uh, China and Mongolia, uh, given the reliance uh, on both countries. And this happened. And that's where you've seen Zijin uh, make that first, you know, public investment. Uh, they've got the go ahead now. I guess the, the Chinese government has now got the go ahead to obviously be more public uh, about their investments in, in Mongolia. Right, but the, 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 I guess this, the, this important bit is like, so what does that mean for you as a Canadian company, understanding that, you know, you're going to either need to get confidence that Western funders are comfortable with that, or you need to go and raise your money more, more locally, you know, in the Asia, Pan-Asian region. Um, and if so, you know, where are you with those sorts of discussions? And in actual fact, is an advantage, will you get cheaper money? Uh, so yes, so that's uh, a good point. So one is yes, the Asian banks are more comfortable in Asia than than, than the Western banks. The Western development banks take a long time. Uh, they're there, they're interested. Uh, they've they've backed OT. Uh, you know, you've had groups that have invested a lot of capital. You're seeing Mongolia be more strategic for Western jurisdictions, given its location, given how resource-rich it is. So it's a, an advantage to us. But certainly the cost of capital has gone up in Western jurisdictions just in the last few months alone. So we've been talking to lending partners, uh, project finance partners, uh, traders as well because of offtake. So a lot of structures we can utilize between debt and debt and prepayment uh, with offtake for phase two and all that. So we've had plenty of conversations, plenty of interest. Bottom line is we're getting the most interest uh, within the region. And yes, the cost of capital... Uh, would be lower than than uh, than the Western jurisdictions, and the timing is quicker, and that that's a key here. Um, we can't sit around uh, for a year without having moved phase two forward, where we have the opportunity. So we've already shown the domestic support. We're actually looking uh, from within Mongolia uh, for further support first, and then you have, of course, China next door uh, and other uh, you know uh, Asian lenders and in, in, in institutions. So the interest is there. Um, we've been having plenty of conversations and our goal is because we have the luxury of time is continue to, to optimize phase two as we have already uh, a couple of months ago with that power um, upgrade. As we continue to optimize phase two over the coming months, it gives us uh, more leverage in negotiating uh, that package for phase two. Because we don't need the capital this year, our goal is by the end of this year or call it at some point in Q1 to have that full package in place. And we have the luxury of, of a little bit more time, uh, which allows us to optimize and, and, and take advantage of that.